The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hello and welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster and I have some really great guests with me today. Not that I don't have great guests every week, but I'm really excited that this came to fruition. And Ashley Muspratt, who is the president of Center for Ecotechnology, and Emily Gaylord, who is a director of communications and relationship development for the same place, the Center for Ecotechnology, are both here with me today in the studio. Welcome. Thank hi, Tara. You. Yeah, hi. Um, it's really exciting. Ashley and I met through your husband, um, who's a photographer and put some great work up at um, Woodstar Cafe. So I'm going to give a shout out to him. I uh, had to purchase a photo, a, a drone photo over the town with some mist. And so we connected. And after we connected, he said, you know, you should meet my wife. And I was like, <laughs> OK, yeah, that's, that's great. So however many months later, three months, four months later, here we are on the radio. So... Thank you for coming on. I'm really excited to hear more about what the Center for Ecotechnology does. Um, I really didn't know before we connected and met, um, and it's quite extensive and amazing. Um, for people that don't know and want to kind of follow along, their website is the Center for Ecotechnology.org. And so, Ashley, can you tell me a little bit about what CET does? Sure. So CET is a nonprofit solutions provider helping to accelerate decarbonization across Massachusetts and about a dozen other states. So uh, we've got about 100 staff who are in people's homes and businesses every single day, helping them identify opportunities to make their buildings and operations more energy efficient, to reduce waste, divert waste. So we go in there, identify opportunities, and then the really important piece is holding their hands all the way through to implementation. Emily and I often like to say that we are there to remove friction. We are just trying to break down barriers and make it as easy as possible for people to go as far and as fast with um, making their their operations and their lives more sustainable. Because it's not easy, right? It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy to do those things, <laughs> right? To figure out like what, what you need to do, who you need to call, are there rebates available? What's the most efficient system? You know, it's I, I could see you looking at my face because I had kind of like a, is it not easy? And I think actually knowing where to go and what to do and what the first step is, that part is actually daunting. But I think what we try to do is actually make it feel easy. Um, a lot of the narrative around climate solutions and decarbonization can feel really daunting and confusing and what's the right call and what's the first step. And that's where organizations like ours are really critical is, like Ashley said, removing that friction, but also creating accessibility, making it feel possible, making it feel like taking those steps isn't actually as hard or as daunting as you might think. And so your mission um, that I read on the website, and I know that you might be in flux with your mission, but um, the Center for Ecotechnology helps people and businesses save energy and reduce waste. We make green make sense. Is that still true? Well, it's still true, but it's not. <laughs> Our current mission is to um, implement, improve, and scale. No. Innovate, <laughs> implement, and scale the environmental solutions that communities need to thrive. 
and this is kind of new, right? I mean, I was on Brand your website, <laughs> and I I loved this. It's on your um your front page, your main page, and I loved the line, "We make green make sense," um, because really, it's so hard to be green, as Kermit said. It ain't easy being green. Um, it's not easy being green, but you're making it easier to be green, right? Yeah, we are making it easier. And I think that um, one of the things that we have a lot of experience with is people come to us from a lot of different perspectives. So maybe there's someone who's an environmental crusader. They know everything that's out there and they just want to do more. More often, it's someone who feels like their operations aren't working as efficiently as they should be. They maybe are really uncomfortable in their home. It's drafty, it's cold. Um, and what we try and do is connect them with the solution that makes sense for them. And that's one of the magical things about CET is we're solution neutral, meaning that we're not selling a particular technology, a particular service. We're working with people and businesses to say, for your unique circumstance, this is what makes sense for you. And by the way, we're going to try and incentivize it. We're going to try and find rebates that are available. We're going to try and look at this whole operation holistically so that you can decarbonize in a way that makes sense for you, that doesn't feel hard or daunting. And ideally, we'll even save some money because that, especially for the small business community, is really critical. And I think these days, you know, being sustainable and adopting cost-effective solutions really go hand in hand. I think when we adopted that tagline, probably in the like 2000s, that's when environmentalism had a reputation for being the more expensive route. But these days, that's just not true anymore, right? We know that building renewable, like a solar you know, farm or a wind farm is actually more cost effective, less expensive than a coal fired power plant, right? In your own home, when you switch to heat pumps, that can be a less expensive way to heat than using fossil fuel. So it really is very easy to both save money and adopt these really important solutions for a resilient climate. I really like the term solution neutral. I need to try to do more of that in my life, be solution <laughs> neutral. Um, all right. So, Ashley, you're the president of CET, and I know you have an interesting background in your life story. How did you come to be at CET, and why is this such a such an important cause for you? Yeah, it's actually really serendipitous. Um, like you said, I, I have a varied background. I landed in Northampton about five years ago after having spent a decade in sub-Saharan Africa where I founded and led a waste energy company. Um, and when I say waste, I mean human waste. So I was, you know, um, emptying pit latrines and props processing human waste at a big factory every day. Um, about seven years ago, I decided <laughs> <laughs> to move back to the U.S. and pivoted to focusing on U.S. climate work. And my family moved to Northampton. And this was back when, you know, you had to be within commuting distance of your job. And luckily, CET was hiring. Um, I applied for a job and parlayed my uh, human waste background into a uh, waste consultant role um, at CET, now dealing with organics and um, cardboard, uh, and have been with the organization for about five years. And when our past president, John Meyercheck, stepped down, um, 
couple years ago, I decided to apply for the role, and and here I am. And um, I think my cover letter for applying for the role said, you know, I I landed at CET by accident, but it has lodged itself into my heart. <laughs> and it really has. I just, I love working at an organization that is making a quantifiable distant difference every day. Um, you know, we measure our days in the amount of carbon emissions that we've offset, in the number of people we've served, in the amount of money that we have saved them. And that that just feels really, really good to be able to wake up every day and do this mission-driven work. And that was also another great video on your website. I don't know if, um, uh, Emily, you had anything to do with all those videos, but I think one of the videos was uh, an in uh 2002 video and it sort of shows that you've helped over 22,000 people and businesses and over 250 schools and reduced carbon emissions um, equal to 62,000 cars um, off of the road for a year um, and saved enough energy to power 14,000 homes for a year. You know, stuff like this, like really quantifiable um, data to with what you're talking about, Ashley, of having a really big impact on yourself and, and on the environment. Yeah, I think that something that makes my job really easily in communications is that we have such a compelling story to tell. Um, and so every year we measure our impact and then um, the communications team kind of gets to celebrate that impact with you know videos and spotlights and things like that. Um, but the reality is there's... Um, I think one of the things we're up against is people feel like, does what I do really matter? Is my recycling going to make a difference? If I switch to heat pumps, is that going to make the change that's needed? And I can understand where we can feel disempowered a little bit or like a drop in the bucket. But because CET is so good at measuring it all, keeping track, looking at our mission, we get to go back to the people we serve and say, look, what you did made a difference. And it's something that we can celebrate with them and use that to leverage into other conversations with other people and businesses. And I think it is important. You know, it's it's why in fundraising, so many people do peer-to-peer fundraising or match incentives, you know, so that your impact and your donation can, can feel like more than, um, because a lot of people don't feel like it's enough. And so, you know, just having that really clear metric, um, I'm sure makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. And I'm sure it's not easy to collect that data. So maybe after we come back from our first break, I can hear a little bit more about how you collect that data. And here we are at our first break. I'm Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm here today with some Center for Ecotechnology guests, Ashley Muspratt and Emily Gaylord. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guests today are Emily Gaylord, who is the Director of Communications and Relationship Development, and Ashley Muspratt, who's the President of the Center for Ecotechnology in Northampton. And so you have a place here in Northampton, right? Do you still go into the office? 
Uh, is it a thing? We have an office. Yeah. We're over in the Cutlery Building. Um, there are a handful of people who make use of it every day, um, and we use it to store a lot of equipment. Um, we also own a brick and mortar reclaimed building materials store down in Spring T- in Springfield, um, where we have about fourteen staff people. Yeah, I'm going later today, so. Yeah. I haven't been there in a while, but I was having flashbacks. I didn't realize that it was a, a CET uh, endeavor or business or part of the part of your structure. But when I was opening Jackson and Connor in Thorns Market, we went down there for some of our building supplies and things. Um, so I've shopped down there before. Very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. Cool. Um, and so that's down in Springfield and people, individuals, businesses, the community builders, contractors can go there and shop and buy things for their homes or their businesses, um, their projects. Yeah, it's just like a thrift store for building materials is the best way to think about it. So building materials get donated and then resold at discounted prices to the community. Sometimes really cool vintage stuff. Sometimes, it's true. Have you been there, Joe? Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) I thought so. Um, And I was also really impressed that you have about 100 employees. Who knew? Yeah, I think that we're a lot bigger than people think we are, um, and we're working on a lot larger scale than people think, and some of that is because we have these incredible relationships with clients and partners, so often we're in a consulting role or a vendor role working with state agencies or utilities, but we actually have our fingerprints uh, all over the region, definitely, and in some places all over the country. And that you've been around for uh, almost 50 years? Almost 50 years. Yeah, 1976. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? (laughs) I'm just ready to go. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Um, I was just going to say that a lot of environmental nonprofits were founded in that time. There was the uh, trash crisis. There was the gas crisis um, in the 70s. And a lot of them have adapted or adjusted or fell off in that time. And where CET has been able to stay in the game is being adaptable and being innovative and changing our model when it made sense so that we could continue to provide what we think is the most effective service for climate solutions. And how has that model kind of evolved over the 50 years? Where do you see the real like similarities that are true to the core of what you do or you know how uh, energy or the climate crisis has evolved and how has it sort of deviated from that? Sure. Well, I think one thing that's always been fundamental to fundamental to our identity is being innovators. And over the course of our 50 years, there have been so many times where we've um, started a program or a business that was brand new to the market, kind of held on to it and um, fostered it until it became more mainstream and then kind of ceded it to other players. So, um, for example, we uh, ran some of the first curbside recycling in Massachusetts. We were doing paper recycling for commercial businesses. We had a truck. We had a route. This is when no one was recycling paper. And then as other businesses came into the fold, we said, we don't need to do this anymore. There are better places for us to spend our time and energy. Let's let other players take it. We um, also helped with organics. Um, We're doing that now with a reclaimed building materials store. Um, We helped. We, We 
developed and conducted some of the first energy audits in Massachusetts, and then were commissioned by MassSave to help write the standards for the MassSave program. So over the years, we have always sort of been ahead of the curve and been looking for, okay, what's the next big thing? Where How can we kind of push uh, the market further in terms of environmental sustainability? Go ahead. I was just going to add that I think the other piece of this that is um, perhaps a little bit unique about CET is we're not only asking what's next in that innovation space, but we're asking what's next while we're in somebody's home and while we're in somebody's business. And so we have this very personal and intimate touch with the people who actually need to implement these big initiatives. So something we talk about all the time is there's all of these pieces of the puzzle, right? Like activists might push for policy to be made and then legislators put that policy into practice. But someone needs to help people implement those initiatives. And that's where CET comes in. So we can say, okay, it's great. For instance, um, Massachusetts has a commercial organics waste ban. We have the ability to then go into a business and say, this is what that looks like and means for you specifically. And that is a little bit of a different spin, I think, on how often these initiatives are rolled out. And tell me a little bit about that. You can't throw away food scraps without composting them? If you're a business in Massachusetts, if you produce a half ton or more of organic material, food scraps um, being the most common that we would think of, um, you have to find an alternative means to dispose of it. So that could be something like composting um, is where people immediately go, but we actually try to coach businesses through, all right, let's actually look at your ordering. Like, is there a way to cut back there? Is there a way to be feeding people with some of your excess? Is there a way to divert this for animal feed? And just kind of work through the hierarchy. Um, When, you know, we're throwing away 40% of food grown in the U.S. and one in eight people are hungry, the math isn't mathing. (laughs) And so we are trying to find some of those matchmaking opportunities. And the great benefit to businesses is not only is this often cost effective, but their operations are cleaner. It smells better. They feel like they're providing something useful to their communities. They're saving money on the front end because they're not um, over-ordering. They're looking at, oh, every time I serve French fries, two-thirds come back. Maybe I should adjust the portion size a little bit. And because we're able to look so holistically, we're able to give them advice in a way that's very customized to that particular business. Um, We're not going to recommend composting to a business that doesn't have a composting hauler, for example, that doesn't make sense. So making those choices with the business in mind is really critical. And so one example of this would be the Lennox Hotel mm-hmm. that you um, all featured on your website in a video. Yeah, the Lennox is actually a great story because um, I've been with them twice, actually. So I've been at CET for 10 years. I think it was one of my first case studies that I did. And they had just started some sustainability initiatives. They'd started composting, diverting some of their wasted food. And then we actually went back because they started donating as much as they could. So they, it's a really great example of once you start on environmental initiatives, you kind of start seeing them everywhere and you start to see all the gaps in your operations. And so they're a great story of someone that made the right choice a decade ago and is continuing to improve their choices since then. And that just that just really showcases a great partnership, right? Of like how you might partner with a business, mm-hmm. like a restaurant business. You know, do you have another example of another type of business that you partner with? Um, maybe not in the restaurant industry. 
Yeah, the other thing that comes to mind for me is um, like manufacturing, um, helping with energy efficiency. So for a lot of folks, we can go in and the great thing about energy efficiency is the ask of the business is very minimal. You know, they're going to get more efficient operations. We're going to help them every step of the way. And then they just get to recognize the savings that they get from that. Um, there was a um, auto dealership that we worked with that um, it was getting really hot. That's something that we're seeing in Massachusetts is heat in a new way in the summers. And so they did a whole um, heat pump overhaul. Um, so they replaced their heating systems with mini splits. And then they were able to recognize the cooling benefits as well in the summer. Um, and so in their little stuffy office, I think that was really appreciated. <laughs> and to your point, Tara, about the long-term relationships that we establish with businesses is, is really common on the energy side of our work, where we might come up with a whole long list of you know, recommendations for business. We often work with college campuses or hospitals that have, you know, multiple facilities and they're not going to take on every project in one year, right? So what we do is help them sequence the work that they do, probably starting with weatherization, insulating the building, and then moving on to upgrading their mechanical systems and their heating systems. And we use our uh, tracking system to document um, where we're at in a project and when to follow up so that we can complete one project and then a year later follow up with them and say, all right, we're back. Are you ready to move on to the I next thing? We cultivate system. those <laughs> those relationships sometimes for you know five plus years yeah. to, working on the customer's timeline to take them all the way through to completion. Yeah, that's really great. I need a tracking system for sure to keep track of all of my relationships. <laughs> That's one thing I should ask for, but but that I feel like that is probably really essential to maintaining your relationships and maintaining that continuity of pushing people to you know remind them because people just forget right, especially if you're giving them a long list of things that they need to do and complete, like they're not gonna remember. Um, all right, we have to take another break already. I'm Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm here today with Ashley and Emily from the Center for Eco Technology in Northampton. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guests today are from the Center for Eco Technology. You can find more about the center uh, on the on the web at thecenterforecotechnology.org. Um, Ashley Muspratt, who's a president, and Emily Gaylord, who's a director of communications and relationship development, have been in the studio with me today. And Emily, I know I asked Ashley earlier, and we heard all about um, her poop stories and Africa, <laughs> which I bow down to you, Ashley. Like I, twelve years and in Africa and leading all of this work of drying poop and turning it into energy. I mean, it's it's amazing, really. I, I applaud you, and I'm glad that you're here with us now doing this work. But Emily, how did you get to be at CET? Like what, you know, you said you've been here for 10 years. Ten, well, 10 years in January. I don't want to uh, preemptively celebrate. Um <laughs> Definitely. We're almost there. <laughs> We're almost there. You can count it. I I'm a rounder upper, a rounder. so just yeah, round it I've up. I've been saying almost 10 years, yeah. you know, when I talk to people. Um, definitely a less exciting path than Ashley took, though I will say 
um, and not just because she's my boss, but that innovative spirit, I think, is what makes us so excited to have her at the helm of CET and that she looks at something like human excrement and sees an energy source. <laughs> and so we're really lucky to All have in. her driving our ship. Um, yeah, I, my background has always been in nonprofit. Um, and when I, I fell in love with CET, because we can stand behind what we do so well and the impact is so significant. Um, a lot of the nonprofits I'd worked at before were very well-meaning and maybe even really successful and impactful, but the scale was just different. And I loved that CET was thinking in this very forward way and keeping ourselves accountable. Um, it makes your job and communications really easy when there's a story that has real numbers in it. Um, and I came to the work because I um, studied abroad in Germany, and I always tell this story, and I hope it's not too long. I'll try and be concise. <laughs> but I was there when um, they won the World Cup, and I just remember all of the beer bottles after the World Cup, and they were still sorted by color of glass even though there were thousands outside of every single receptacle. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like these are some drunk people and they are still sorting, they're recycling by colored glass, like green glass, brown glass, clear glass. And I just, it kind of lodged itself in my brain about how much work we have to do. Um, and rather than feel disempowered or sad about that, I found CET, which makes me feel hopeful and excited about the future. So here I stay, and I'll be here for a very long time, I think. Well, we're we're glad you're here, too. And yeah, I mean, so just on that, what are some of the challenges that you know people face when transitioning to more sustainable practices, better recycling, you know, different modes of... Um, of of collection of waste and things like that. I mean, you know, what are what are you seeing? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And waste, as compared to energy, um, I I do think is a more challenging transition because it requires behavior change. So what we do at CET, our waste consultants are really. Um, great about working with businesses to seamlessly integrate new systems into existing operations, right? So uh, if we're working with a restaurant, for example, we do a lot of hands-on training with the staff. We get down to the very minute details of where does an organics bin need to be placed in the kitchen so that it's a shorter walk to that bin than to the trash. And, you know, we're really particular about our signage, um, both for the kind of back of house staff as well as customers to make it like really, really clear. So there is a there's definitely a behavior change element that requires, um, you know, training and buy in. Um, but we're here to just make it as simple as possible. And I think that's right about the making it a shorter distance, making it easier because people have those barriers, right? Like it's going to be too hard. I can't do it. It's too costly. Yeah. One of the things we spend a ton of time on is just signage. And you, it seems like this very simple concept, but I think we've all been at an event before where if there was good signage and you knew where you were going and how to get there and where the X tent is, it's so much easier. It reduces all of this stress. The same is true for waste signage. If you can look at a sign and see the item that you're holding in your hand, it makes it really obvious where that goes. 
The other thing with waste is who the decision makers are may or may not be the business owner. So are the custodial staff invested? Do they know what's going on? Are the people who are actually handling the waste? And with energy and waste, I think the other critical thing is this is not their job. When we're working with businesses, they have a business to run. And so they don't need to be sustainability um, experts. But what we can do is be that expertise for them. And because our services are free, they can take advantage of those, get that handholding. It's almost like this consultant that they've hired to do all of this with them without it becoming their job to do it. And so you just said it was free. I did. That's say it crazy. Because <laughs> I was totally about to ask, like, how much does this cost, and what type of p- payment program do you have, and are there incentives or rebates to hiring you, and you, you know, know getting that refunded. Very fortunate to be in a position where we're either working with clients, like through the Mass Save program, to deliver services, or with state agencies. Um, so we operate under contract with the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection to operate the Recycling Works program, which is specifically to offer this free service to businesses. Um, it keeps them in compliance. Uh, so sometimes, you know, you might get a nasty letter from the Mass DEP that says like your recycling was contaminated, and a business might be like, "What do I?" It's not a nasty letter. It's actually a very nice letter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm just for the business, they might see it and it scary like oh my gosh I didn't even know that there was something to be in compliance with and we just come in and again we're not there we're not a regulator we're not gonna get you in trouble we're just there to try and clean that up and make your operations work more smoothly that's great it it is so great so you said EPA mass save a couple times already who are some other partners that you partner with um to get right so for the the mass save program it's utilities who contract with us so the investor-owned utilities like Eversource and National Grid that are part of mass save we also do a lot of work for municipal utilities in Massachusetts so about 20 percent of the Massachusetts population is served by um, public utilities and we run their uh, energy efficiency and electrification programs as well. We also have a lot of federal funding, um, uh, USDA, for example, um, supports our farm program. So in Massachusetts, we run the Mass Farm Energy Program through the Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources with additional support from the USDA. And it's kind of like a mass save for farms where we go to the we go to the farm, we identify energy efficiency, electrification, and or renewable energy opportunities. And then we work with the farms to uh, get those projects through to implementation. We even help them access funding. We support them with grant applications for state and federal grants. Um, And we even, on occasion, provide bridge loans to help them with the upfront capital costs that's required to initiate these projects. And so you're in Massachusetts and 12 other states. Is that that. true? Are you also doing the same type of thing in the other states? Or is Mass kind of like the hub of where you're doing most of this work? I would say southern New England and New York is where we have the sort of highest density of work. Um, And increasingly, we want to 
be able to present ourselves as comprehensive kind of decarbonization solution providers. So we have really deep expertise in energy and waste. And so as we're moving into new geographies, we really love it when we have the contractual ability to provide all of those services. And Increasingly, we're able to do that in um, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. Um, and we've recently started doing a lot more work in New York. And then as we move kind of further afield outside of southern New England, um, we are doing some uh, wasted food uh, work with, with municipalities advising them on investment in organics inf- processing infrastructure uh, and um, providing technical assistance to commercial businesses in their regions to help them set up um, programs. Yeah, and I'll speak just personally for myself. Our household just started um, doing some organic uh, recycling, and uh, we now have a organic recycler machine thing that like hums and grinds the food, and then it goes into like a little baggie that eventually we ship off, which we don't love. But it's like this really cool thing that my husband found and we've been using it and it makes such a huge difference from our personal household waste um, is probably reduce it by half and I even try not to throw away food with the kids but you know we were throwing away a lot of like scraps and stuff like that but it's it's amazing so um, when we get back from the break maybe we can talk a little bit more about that but we're already here again I'm Tara Brewster and you've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show I'm here with Ashley Muspratt and Emily Gaylord from the Center for Eco Technology and we'll be right back the Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster WHMP The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guests today are Ashley Muspratt and Emily Gaylord from the Center for Ecotechnology in Northampton and beyond. We've been talking about some really interesting things around climate change and action um, and sort of fears and obstacles or perceived obstacles that exist um, that we've been sort of chatting through. And um, this great organization, this nonprofit organization, helps people figure out a way forward. Um, But one question that I have is, what are some of the economic implications of transitioning to this low carbon economy that you're trying to get us to? And how can we ensure that it's a just transition for workers and communities that are going to be affected by moving in this direction? Yeah, so I'll I'll kick us off and then I'd love for um, Ashley to talk about some of our specific initiatives. But one thing I would say is, something I'm really proud of us for is really thinking about this when we talk about service delivery and when we talk about the initiatives we want to put forth. And one of the things um, we talk about all the time is, for example, if you have a street and everybody who can afford to go solar goes solar, now the entire fossil fuel load is exclusively on the people who couldn't afford that transition, right? So what we try to do is find those opportunities that are equitable, that are inclusive, and that are easy first steps. So Weatherization is a very affordable thing. MassSafe covers it if you're um, in the MassSafe program. It's also something that you can even do yourself. Um, So that's things like air sealing, insulation, caulking your windows. Um, 
things like that. And certainly in the small business community, there's a lot of opportunity for weatherization. Um, and so just recognizing that some of the most affordable things are also some of the most effective or at least a really good first step is one way to just ensure that we're all kind of starting from the same baseline. But then you have to take it a step further. And so we've recently rolled out a new program and we just piloted it. And I love Ashley talk about inclusive utility investments a little bit because I think it's a really exciting way to answer this question. Right. I am really, really excited about inclusive utility investments, which I'm going to call IUI because it's just a <laughs> little bit easier <laughs> to say. Um, and this this program, I think, is, is going to do two things. First, it's just going to unlock and absolutely accelerate the deployment of the con- environmental solutions, the decarbonization solutions that we need in the state. And the coolest thing about it is that it's going to make them accessible to all customer segments, to renters, to low-income households. So let me try to explain to you very concisely how IUI works. This is a mechanism where a utility makes the investments, the improvements to a home. So if we're talking about your home, Tara, um, if our energy auditors came in and identified, um, you know, opportunity to insulate your house and to replace your oil furnace with heat pumps and your hot water heater with a heat pump, hot water heater and a put in an EV charger and an induction stove, we'd give you that long list would probably be about thirty, thirty five thousand dollars and you'd be like, Oh, sounds great, but I'm not going to invest in this tomorrow. Um, you know, and even with generous mass save incentives, you'd still be looking at a huge investment. With IBI, IUI, the conversation is completely different. And the utility says to you, we want to make these upgrades to your home. You're not going to have any upfront cost and we guarantee that your energy bills will stay the same or go down compared to what you were previously paying. So suddenly installing these these technologies in your home is an absolute no-brainer. It's going to improve the value of your home. It's going to make you more comfortable. It's going to make give you a healthier environment. And you're going to have a lower carbon footprint. So the way that this works is that the utility will get a return on their investment through a tariff that would be tied to your meter. So every month you're going to have a new line on your on your bill that you'll pay. But that payback period will be extended over the life of, life of the measures. So the incremental payment every month is relatively modest. And if you know, oh, well, my kids are going off to college next year and we're moving, like, I'm not going to make these investments in my home. Or if you were a renter, you'd be like, well, I can't make this decision. Again, because this is a payment tied to the meter and not you, Tara Brewster, taking on any personal obligation, you pay while you're the occupant. And then if you sell the home or you move out as a renter, the next occupant picks up the tariff. So... We're piloting this now in Ipswich out um, in eastern Massachusetts, and we have several other utilities that are ready to launch their own programs in 2024. And I'm just I'm just really excited to see where this goes because it's um, it's going to completely change the pace at which we can make improvements in homes. Yeah, that sounds incredible, and something like a lot of people would just want to jump right on. like how yeah. could you not yeah. <laughs> yeah. i know i'm like where do i sign yeah, up exactly sign me up 
Well, and I think that that's just it. The narrative, even in the last 10 years since I've been at CET, has changed so dramatically from almost tiptoeing around climate change to this is real and I want to do something about it, but I have this barrier, I don't have the time, or I don't understand it. And the fact that people have transitioned to even asking those questions and saying, I'm here, I want to do something, that makes it so easy for us to come in and be innovative players in this space. Is 2024 going to bring the program here or do we have to wait longer than that? Probably have to wait longer than that. We're starting with municipal utilities. So um, towns that have their own public light plants, they're just um, a little more nimble and can move a little um, faster. They have a different regulatory framework. But our goal is to kind of pilot and demonstrate this mechanism with the um, municipal utilities so that eventually it could also be adopted by investor-owned utilities like we're served by here in Northampton. Got it. Um, well, I, I'm excited about it and I can't wait to hear more about it, how it goes in Ipswich and, and beyond. Um, hopefully we won't have to wait too long for it to get to Northampton. Um, but I also wanted to ask you about the Community Climate Fund, um, which you created at CET um, for individuals, colleges, universities and businesses to invest in um, local carbon reduction projects. How does that work? And have you seen any success with this program so far? Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll try and answer this, but Ashley, I'm looking at you to fill in any any gaps. Um, so the Community Climate Fund was a brainchild of, um, actually, Ashley, when you were the Director of Innovation, I think is when it started. Um, but anyway, neither here nor there. Um, but the idea was, um, it started with institutions, so colleges and universities that wanted to offset their carbon but wanted to do it in a way that was impactful to their local community. So rather than, say, planting a thousand trees to offset their carbon somewhere in another country, um, they could invest in projects in their community. And then we consulted on how that would be deployed. And so we started this fund um, where, for instance, some of those things we were talking about, bridge loans, um, roadblock removal, we can now provide that funding for the businesses to participate because these institutions have decided to invest locally rather than abroad. Um, it's unlocking a lot of work and potential and it's it's filling that gap. So um, maybe um, you're a business in a, you know, we call it a stick and brick, like a house that's a business and there's knob and tube and you want to upgrade and do all your insulation and everything, but that needs to be remediated first and it's really cost prohibitive, the fund can kind of help remove that as a barrier um, so that we can implement those initiatives. Um, And so what we're looking for now is to really scale that fund. And so people like your listeners can absolutely participate um, by just going to centerforecotechnology.org slash donate. Awesome. Yes, you're a 501c3, so you can donate to the Center for Ecotechnology on their website, centerforecotechnology.org. And um, I can't believe it, but we're already almost out of time. I know it goes by so fast, I promised both of you. Ashley Muspratt, who's a president, and Emily Gaylord, who's a director of communications and relationship development. Thank you. And I also wanted to thank our sponsors, Greenfield Savings Bank, who's my employer, who lets me do all these crazy things like this. <laughs> um, out in the community, um, we're a mutual bank. We've been in the community for 154 years. Thank you so much, GSB. And also Business West, who we know gives us so much news and information all throughout the region. 
Thank you so much for being a supporter of so many things. I'm Tara Brewster. You're listening to the Western Mass Business Show. Thank you for doing so. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP.